You are Locked On Syracuse, your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, time for another Locked On Syracuse podcast. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone out there and happy return of college basketball season. I am pumped for this one today. We're going to be previewing the Bryant matchup to start out the show and then just get into our overall thoughts on the Syracuse basketball team, where they will finish in the ACC, where they will finish in the NCAA tournament in our kind of final preview podcast here. It's kind of a weirder week here. We had the John Wallace interview, which was awesome, Ty. And, and before we get into sort of our schedule for the rest of the week, follow us on Twitter, please, if you haven't already, at LO underscore Syracuse. You can get all breaking news in regards to Syracuse, and we'll be live tweeting that Bryant game, which is a Friday 3 p.m. tip, and then the NC State game on Saturday as well. Every game the rest of the way, we will have our thoughts on the Twittersphere at LO underscore Maybe Syracuse. Maybe not the football also, Twittersphere, but... Yeah, the, the football Twittersphere, I mean, I guess that's also kind of been more engagement than normal lately, though, because everyone is up in arms. And, oh, the Boobirds. The Boobirds can't actually show up to the Dome, so they show out to Twitter. Yeah. And, and that's <laughs> the nice part, I guess, of having not, like not all these fans going to games is they're, they're extra vocal on Twitter now. Right. That's the 2020 Boobirds is going to yeah. social media and Twitter these days. So Although hopefully we, there might be some good news on the way for Syracuse football. Fingers crossed yeah, there might be. Yeah, we'll see. Um, it can only go up, right? And we're not giving up on the football team. I, I know we have a lot of listeners that love football. It's just this week with the schedule, it's funny how things worked out. We're going to take one day off just because of Thanksgiving this week. And it's weird. We're we're in sports, both of us, and it feels like just you and I talking off the air that this is like our busiest week of the year, even though it's Thanksgiving. That probably is hard for people to wrap their head around, but that's just kind of how it works out sometimes in the sports industry, I guess. That yeah, that mm-hmm. we've been a little little more stuff to do this week, but we do have our full basketball thoughts today, and in leading up to this this Friday Bryant game, I think we will recap. If you're down for like a Saturday recap, maybe let's do it. Yeah, Yeah. might come out a little later on Saturday, but yeah, we can do that. Right. So, so we'll get you our our basketball reaction on Saturday because we missed one day, kind of this week, and then Monday will be our full football thoughts on NC State. So, unfortunately, we don't have time for a football preview this week just because we had John Wallace and a couple other things going on. But if you missed. Our football conversation this Monday, that kind of has all our thoughts on state of the program and everything. But let's dive into this Bryant game. Where, where do you want to begin with this Bryant roster? I, I think everyone expects Syracuse to win the game, but I, I feel like a lot of people are, are going to be wondering, listening to this podcast, just what Bryant is made of. And, and they've got a couple guys that can score for them a little bit on offense. And they also have some former Power 5 guys as well. I mean, you look at... Peter Kiss, a guy who played with Rutgers a couple seasons ago. He's projected to be a starter for them after sitting out last year. Melo Eggleston is a guy who Syracuse fans may know the name of because he played at Wake Forest once upon a time. He comes in after transferring. He's on his third stop now, transferring uh, from Arkansas State and previously from Wake Forest. So there is talent on this Bryant team. And when you look at the Northeast Conference, probably the uh, team number two, on this list, Fairleigh yeah. Dickinson in that top tier. I mean, Fairleigh Dickinson, it feels like you see their name as the 16th seed almost every single season, right? It's them. 
Um, occasionally you get like an LIU or something like that, but maybe a St. Francis, but you're, you're seeing a, a team like Fairleigh Dickinson in the tournament fairly, fairly frequently. I feel like I don't have any numbers to support that, but you look no, I at, agree. yeah, you look at this Bryant team and a number of, of things stand out when I look at them in terms of how they fared in their conference last year. This is a team that Syracuse should absolutely feast off of because they don't turn you over and they turn the ball over a lot. At least that was from a season ago. And a lot of that should be returning into this upcoming season as well. Um, so Syracuse, a team that likes to, to feast on, on defense. And that certainly should be the case against Bryant. And again, you, you were expecting that anyway. But I would say further that one more step from what your expectations were heading into this game. Yeah, they. You mean like Syracuse forced a lot of turnovers? For, last Syracuse year, will force so. a lot of yeah, and yeah, and Bryant will turn the ball over a lot. Yeah, so Bryant lost a lot last year, but then they bring in like a ton of transfers. But you bring up Peter Kiss. I think he's arguably their best player now that he comes over from Rutgers. He started twelve games for Rutgers like two seasons ago. So it's not every day that a Power Five starter at one point is in the Northeastern Conference. He's going to be probably an All Conference guy in the Northeastern Conference at the wing position for them. Chris Childs is another guy to watch. He's kind of their sharpshooter. And if you're thinking in terms of Syracuse history, like he could be the guy that just lights you up in the dome. And there's sometimes those games where Syracuse allows one guy to make six or seven threes, and it's really aggravating. He has that potential. Childs is a Juco guy who was a 45% shooter on on pretty high volume last year at, at the Juco level from three. But still, I mean, that, that'll translate some. So they're 311 on Ken Palm right now to start the year. Last year, they finished 234 on Ken Palm, but they jumped up 100 spots from the year before that. And this is now the third season with Jared Grasso as the head coach. He's only a 40-year-old head coach, but arguably one of the best up-and-coming head coaches in all of college basketball, and a name that you kind of hear in conversations that he could be ready to make a leap because the Northeastern yeah, Conference Yeah, he'd be a is, trendy name. Like, you go to the tournament, maybe he pulls an upset as a 14-3 or something like that. Yeah. I mean, typically I think this is like a 15-16 seed, what you're getting from the Northeastern Conference. So if you're Syracuse, you should win this game by 20, 30 points. Like, if all goes well, you win it by 25, 30. I have not seen a spread yet, but I guess it's in the lower 20s and mid-20s. Now, there is the fact that Syracuse has not practiced at all, and I, I don't think they're going to get a chance to practice, according to some reports from Matthew Gutierrez, until Thursday, the day before the game, on Thanksgiving. So, put, you know, way as much into that as, as you'd like. I, yeah, we've kind of we talked know, about that. I don't know how much that's actually going to matter. When it comes right. down to it. And for those who missed that conversation, basically what the premise was is that look in the NFL. Look how many times we see players and teams mispractice and have to go all virtual for meetings and practices and stuff like that. They don't get destroyed when they go out there. They they pretty much perform to expectation if there was a whole round of practices. And I even heard Chris Collinsworth talk about this I don't remember if it was this Sunday night or the Sunday night game before that but he was kind of talking about how for a lot of these guys it's kind of nice to to get that week off it's almost like you have a, an extra bye week in a sense because you're not putting that physical toll on your body now this might be a, a touch different in the in the regard that they're not recovering week to week they're recovering from an off season so 
they don't have these miles on, on their tires quite yet heading into the year. But I think the, the point still stands, especially when you're playing a, a softer opponent right out of the gate in Bryant. I wouldn't be as worried about the no practice thing. Yeah, and then you got Ryder after this. So they, they should be fine. Rutgers is, is going to be a tough game, though, when they do get to that on December 8th. We are getting jacked up for this Bryant game. And you know what? When I'm watching that Bryant game Friday at 3 p.m., I may even dip into a Coors Light during that time. There's no better time to reach for the beer that's literally made to chill. That's Coors Light. It is great for watching sporting events. The official beer of watching any sport or team just to drink beer. Coors Light is mountain cold refreshment. It's cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. Crisp and refreshing, just like the Colorado Rockies. And perfect for a moment to unwind, like watching Syracuse basketball, hopefully beat up on Bryant on Friday. So Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. And when you want to hit reset and reach for the beer that's made to chill, you can get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. Again, that's get.coorslight.com. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Two more guys to highlight from the Bryant side of things here, and then we will get into some prop shop picks as we usually do in, in preparation for the game. Michael Green the third is kind of their primary ball handler guy from last year. We'll see how much of a role he plays this year now that they incorporate Peter Kiss and Chris Childs and a couple other transfers, Eggleston, like you mentioned. But this guy, when you watch him, it's like honestly kind of scary how small he is. He, he looks like watching five eleven, play. Yeah. Yeah, he's 5'11", but he's also 155 pounds. So, like, he stands out on the yeah, highlight tape. you can go to tape. Baldwinsville High School and find a kid that looks like this. Yeah, it, and, like, and I, I don't mean this as disrespect, and, and I'm kind of hesitant to say it, because he still has a lot of game, and he could hurt Syracuse in this game, but it's kind of like watching one of those kids who was just really good in high school, and he's, like, really good at basketball, even though he shouldn't be, because he just looks so much smaller than everyone else on the court, and that's against the Northeastern Conference. Like, He's, he's going to run into some problems against Syracuse, but I'll give him some credit. Like, he's a crafty finisher, and look, Chris Likes is really small, too. I was just I mean, about to bring him up. He, he's 5'7", 165, so yeah. Chris Likes maybe a little more compact than, than Michael Green. Right. It, Green just looks really skinny when he's playing, and he's not a great shooter, but he's a good facilitator. He handles the ball for them well, and he's got a lot of, like, Euro step moves, and he's herky-jerky with the ball. So we'll see how he fares against the zone in terms of like how much dribble penetration can they get at the top of the zone, which was a problem for Syracuse last year. And then the final guy to bring up on my end, Hall Elijah is their big guy, and that's obviously always the question mark with Syracuse. Does the other team have a big guy? He's 6'8", but that's actually kind of deceiving. He's a very athletic 6'8", great leaper and one of the best shot blockers in the country last year in terms of shot block percentage he was right up there in the tops and also just blocks per game averaged like two and a half blocks per game last year and kind of his first full year with Bryant making it a a considerable impact so a guy that really transformed their defense and was the anchor of their defense last year he could present some problems and he's probably a guy to watch on the boards a little bit but obviously that was against the Northeastern Conference so I would hope that Sadibe should be able to handle him, a 6'8 big from the Northeastern Conference at the end of the day. But I guess the question then becomes, well, can Sadibe stay out of foul trouble against a guy like that? Now, offensively, he's he's not a, as potent as maybe some of the, the ACC bigs, but he's a good offensive rebounder as well. 
So, and, and there's a couple of solid offensive rebounders on this this Bryant team. So that's another thing to look out for because if Sidibe gets caught in foul trouble and then you have to maybe lean on Frank Anselm and is he ready for his first game? That That's a whole other question that, that needs to be answered. And I'm sure we'll, we'll find out some answers real quick about some of the young guys if they can play right away on, on Friday night. Yeah. Brian also played some zone last year on defense. They were 31st most zone defense in the country per statistics last year. So I'll be curious to see if they flash that at all against Cuse. Probably wouldn't if I was them, but who knows with the new group how often they they go to the zone. All right, let's get into the prop shot picks for this game. We're just going to go rapid fire this week because we've got to get into our overall thoughts on the season as well on the back half of this show. First prop shot pick, and again, these are not real lines, just fake money. If you're new to the podcast, we keep track as the season goes along. So we're we're both zero and zero. It's a new season here with basketball. Buddy Beheim over under points. I'm going to set it at 19 and a half, which is higher than I normally would set it, but it is Bryant. So I think you got to push it up a little bit. And again, this is for the single game only, not the not his season average. Here. Yes. I'm going to go with the under here. I just don't know if the minutes will be there for him to get to 19 and a half. Again, he could he could very well have like 16 in the first half, and maybe Syracuse is out to a huge lead, and then he just dials it back, maybe tries to get into more of a facilitator role. So I'm going to go under 19 and a half here. All right, I'm going under as well. Kadari Richmond, all the hype around him, will set his individual Bryant game numbers points-wise at 10 and a half. Are you going over or under that? I'm going to go over here. I think he might get a little more opportunity than people think. Yeah, I'm going to go over with him as well. We're all in on the Richmond hype, I think, collectively. And it's gotten a little outrageous, but but I think there is some truth to it when it gets to, to that level. And then we got to do our Sidibe special. We, we did it all of last year. It is the fouls per game for Barama Sidibe. At the end of last year, it was four and a half basically every single time. I figured I'd give him the benefit of the doubt. He played a little better at the end of last year, fouls-wise, and then it's Bryant. So you figure he might not even have to play as many minutes. So I set the over-under for his fouls in this game at three and a half. I'll join you, uh, or I will I will take the over on this one, over, or over three and a half. I just really? see a lot of I see a lot of offensive rebounding threats on this Bryant team that could maybe give him some trouble, and he'll be reaching over the back, all that stuff. I I, I don't love the matchup. Now now he very well could not play the minutes to to warrant this, but let's for the sake of the exercise, we're going over. Okay, I'm gonna go under on that one. I think this has a lot of potential to be the narrative on Saturday or even Friday night will be. Wow, Barama Sidibe looks like a different player, and he's like puts up a double double against weaker competition as he has a tendency to do, and he's gonna look stronger and bigger because we've seen those reports. So, I think that's gonna be the narrative, and he's gonna have a, a pretty good game in this one, almost like deceivingly good game because it it's Bryant, so we shouldn't really overreact to it too much. Our final prop shot pick, and usually we do the spread. We we can't really do that. All but, right, you want to maybe here, we we can make shift a spread, and I'll I'll show you how in a little bit. But okay, go through the last cool. pick. All right, the final one is kind of a fun one. Obviously, all the ACC coaches are wearing the polos this year, so everyone's going to be rocking the polos. We were thinking, will they drop a video of Jim Beheim tossing a jacket at any point during the broadcast, considering? that they might bring it up sort of in light of the polo news, which I heard Beheim tell Gutier- Matthew Gutierrez that it is like 
no turning back now. Once you go to polos, yep. they're probably not turning back, which I'm all for the polos. So do you Love think the they show look. him tossing the jacket? I think, yes, I'm going to take the yes side of things okay. here. Too easy. Yeah, we'll set it at even odds. That that could be a gift, but I'm kind of rooting for them to show. I, I'm always for, you know, seeing a Bayheim jacket toss. So I'll, I'll say yes for that one as well. What are you thinking for the spread? All right, so Ken Palm puts out the numbers. And he's pretty spot on when it comes to the spreads for these games. I don't know if he knows something or if his computer that he's crafted up is just this good at cranking out the numbers, but he's got Syracuse with a 24 point win, 83 to 59. So let's use 24 as the spread and 142 as the total here. I got to say real quick, I think this is a good omen. I'm looking out my window right now. I just saw a car drive by with a huge Syracuse flag on top of it. I've never really seen that in North Carolina. So I don't know. Maybe I should just go totally in on the Syracuse. Maybe I should actually wager on it after seeing that. That was like kind of freaky. But I, I like your idea. I also think we could just sort of like pick a score and then whatever our score is, that's kind of our way of going on the spread. I It's a tough game to predict score wise, but I'll say it's like 75-55 or 75-50, I'll say Syracuse over Bryant. I'm going to go with a 90 to 60 win here against wow. Bryant. So I, I like Syracuse and I, I like the the total, the makeshift total that we had. My omen outside right now is that it's pouring rain, which usually to the common fan, they think, oh no, storms, like <laughs> like the, the whole wedding omen where you don't want to get married on a rainy day. Well, to me, I'm going to look at it the opposite way here. I'm going to say, no, it's going to be raining buckets in the dome on the opener. Give me Syracuse. Give me Bryant. Joe Girard, big game for him. And we'll see some flashes of the new kid, Kadari Richmond. And Alan Griffin, right. too. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited to have basketball season back. All right, real quick, I want to get a stats report from our guy, Anthony DeBundo. Time for a basketball edition of DeBundo's Digits. The numbers you need to know. Anthony DeBundo breaks down the biggest stats for this week's Syracuse matchup. DeBundo's Digits. If you ain't taking stats, kick the f*** out the class. On the Locked On Syracuse Podcast. It's hard to imagine how football season could have gone any worse for Syracuse this year, and the Office of Devundo's Digits has officially declared it basketball season. First, a quick shout-out to collegefootballdata.com for providing all of the great insights throughout the college football season, and a thank you in advance to Ken Pomeroy for all of the advanced basketball data throughout the season on kenpom.com. Now, the Orange are out of quarantine and diving headfirst into their opening game on Friday against Bryant, who ranks 311th out of 357 teams in the projected overall adjusted efficiency metrics on Ken Palm. They'll only get one practice ahead of the game, but the Bulldogs do present multiple favorable matchups based on last year's data for Syracuse. Under second-year head coach Jared Grasso, the Bulldogs ranked top 100 in adjusted tempo last year, so they will look to get out and run in transition and speed up the Orange. But the Bulldogs do, however, have turnover issues. Bryant ranked 286th in turnover rate last season, with a turnover on more than one in every five possessions. They don't turn their opponents over much defensively, ranking 348th in non-steal turnover percentage and 308th in turnover percentage on defense. That's out of 353 teams. The Bulldogs are also undersized and ranked 323rd in size. None of their front line is any taller than 6'9", and given that the Orange ranked near the top of the country in height, Syracuse should have significant size advantages. So while that may not necessarily translate to rebounding, given the Orange's struggles there, the Orange actually were above average on the glass 
offensively last year and thus could punish Bryant there with some extra possessions. The Bulldogs will look to shoot a lot of threes as they ranked 46th last year in percentage of shots coming from behind the three-point arc. They're going to run in transition, they're going to shoot a lot of threes, and they're going to turn the ball over a lot. Now, if the Bulldogs do get hot from three, the Oranges struggle to defend the perimeter continue from last year. SU could have some trouble with Bryant, but their size and ability to turn over the Bulldogs should have Syracuse comfortably rolling to 1-0 on the schedule. But since it is the first basketball edition of the Bundos Digits, I thought I'd sneak in a few Syracuse Nuggets and numbers to watch this year. If you check out the Daily Orange, you can find my work and a two-part data breakdown where I looked at 10 key numbers and stats that will define the Orange's season. But there's two that really stand out to me. One is assist to field goal ratio. Syracuse improved dramatically last year in this number, graduating from the iso ball days of Tyus Battle and O'Shea Brissett into a much more efficient offense that featured Joe Girard running point and more assists per field goal In the last 10 years, there's a strong correlation between how many assists they get per field goal and their overall offensive efficiency. And the second metric that correlates strongly with offensive success is turnover rate. It seems obvious, but as the Orange turn over the ball less, their efficiency shoots up significantly on offense. Syracuse ranked 40th nationally in turnover rate last year after much worse numbers in years past, and their offensive efficiency went way up. Now, the Orange's offense should be improved again this year with all the returning pieces, if they can keep up those two metrics. So while Syracuse may have only scored 34 points in its opener last year against Virginia, if they don't have 34 by halftime on Friday, something has gone wrong. Big thanks to Anthony DeBundo. You can find his work on the Daily Orange, or you can find him also on Twitter at Anthony DeBundo. All right, so let's get into just our general thoughts on the season now. We, we gave you our Bryant predictions where do you see this team finishing? We, we threw out a poll that was basically like what the fans think. And I think people are pretty torn overall. I, a lot of people would say bubble is the national prediction, but I, I think there is some buzz that this team could be a little bit better than advertised. So where do you kind of fall on that spectrum? I actually lean on the side of this team can be a little bit better than expected. And we've kind of echoed that sentiment throughout this entire process because so Syracuse begins the season 31st in Ken Palm. They're behind Louisville to, to be 6th in the ACC in the, the Ken Palm rankings. 31st is honestly a little bit better than I thought they would be, uh, full yeah. disclosure there. But when I look at how Syracuse kind of stacks up in, in the conference, it, it feels very similar to the team that went to the tournament in, in 2019, except I feel like this team might be a little bit better. Now, the star power, I don't think, is quite as good. I don't think there is a quote-unquote Tyus battle on this team that that can just be uh, like above, way above the rest in terms of talent. I think the talent is more balanced, and that might help the Syracuse team heading into the year because you've got guys like Joe Girard, Buddy Beheim, and, and Alan Griffin. I don't think the talent disparity between the three of them is very big, whereas I think if you took... Tyus Battle and let's say O'Shea Brissett was the the third wheel, or maybe Frank Howard was the third wheel there. The, I feel like there's a much bigger gap there, and I feel like the yeah. balance and the talent disparity this time around is going to be a real benefit. So the poll I put out at lo underscore Syracuse on Twitter, the four options were NIT slash miss the NCAA tournament, bubble, NCAA nine seed in the tournament or better. 
and then six seed or better in the tournament at the end of the day. Are you? It sounds like you're nine seed or better with that. Yes, right? I'm in the, the I'm in the seven to nine window there. I think this could be a, a seven seed. I really do. Yeah, and maybe okay. if you a couple balls bounce your way in ACC play, maybe you pull a, a big upset. Maybe UNC's playing really well at the end of the year, and you can beat them on your home floor, give you that last little bump. If all things go well in the ACC tournament, then yeah, you could definitely see this team maybe creep into the six seed. I think that would be a ceiling for this team. I think more realistic, you're looking at a seven or an eight. Yeah, I would say an eight seed. So and I lean more towards seven than eight, actually. Okay. All right. So that's the majority of what we got in a admittedly probably biased poll because it's all Syracuse fans, but 39.6% of people that responded on Twitter said nine seed or better. That took the cake. Six seed or better got 21% of votes. Bubble was in second place, got 28% of votes. And then missing the NCAA tournament, uh, bringing it up the rear, 11% of our Twitter votes went that way. So I was about it how I expected the the population in the Q's community to fall in that category. There there is a chance I guess they get into the six seed conversation, but I think you're right. Your ceiling is probably a seven seed with this team. And I say that because I think best case scenario for them is they get to the five spot in the ACC. And honestly I, I would probably project them either six or five if I really crunched it down. Because Louisville, I think, is dropping a lot given the injuries they've had lately. So there's a roadmap where they get to five, and I think that's very possible for Syracuse. They were projected six in the ACC poll, and we kind of said that was probably the best they could have been projected because Louisville at the time maybe looked a little bit better outlook-wise. I don't think they can get higher than five, though, considering you got Florida State, UNC, Duke, and Virginia. We know what we're getting from those teams. I guess you could have said that about UNC last year, and they fell. It's going to be a weird year, and, and things are going to change a lot, probably in the standings, but I think five is their ceiling in terms of the conference. Well, my my phantom ACC vote says this is the sixth best <laughs> team in the conference, with with great potential to be five. I, what, you actually have an ACC vote, as we know, and uh, we and you said what, you had them at five on your vote? I had them at six. and oh, you had them at six, okay. I maybe, if I could vote again, knowing the Louisville injuries and the full extent of them now, because those have been getting more negative as time has passed. I was already not very high on Louisville, so I think I would vote him five if I had the vote tomorrow and, and I could redo it. So I've got another question here. Obviously, we know it's going to be a weird year. Help or hurt Syracuse, I think is the question you ask out of that. And to that, I think it actually helps this team. Okay, why is that? I'm just thinking about, okay, you're going to have to, you might be missing some practices because of exposures here or there. And I don't think you can miss practices against Syracuse, leading into a Syracuse game, because of the fact that you're going to be going up against the most, well, I won't say the most unorthodox defense in the league, but to a degree, yes, it is the most unorthodox defense in the league between them and and Virginia. I I don't know if you can get away with a whole week off of practice or four or five days or the three days leading into a game off of practice against a Syracuse. So that's why I lean on this. It kind of is the the same tourney effect, right? If you're preparing for two teams, well, this time you're preparing for one team, but you can't do the, the practices in person there. So... I would say that probably helps this team out. And again, hopefully 
it doesn't happen. It, like, obviously, for the the betterment of health of everyone out there, hopefully, no one has to go through a weird practice leading into a Syracuse game. But yeah, let, let's be honest. It's inevitable that some program is going to go on pause at some point, and I think that it would help a team like Syracuse in this weird year where you're preparing for a strange defense and you maybe don't have the on-court practice time. I think one thing that's going to benefit them is they have a lot of continuity and returners this year. I know Griffin is new and Richmond's new and they're going to be probably key contributors, it looks like. And maybe Anselm, too, will will play as that backup center role and that probably rounds out kind of your, your eight when you tack on the five returners. I think that's beneficial because if you've got a lot of new bodies thrown in there with COVID pauses and limited practice and just not enough time to really get to know each other even off the court as much as normal in in chemistry, that could hurt some of those teams. So I'm looking at teams this year that have continuity and those are the teams that I'm kind of backing, especially early on in the season. The other thing to keep in mind, and Matthew Gutierrez brought this up in a recent article on The Athletic, the dome sight lines thing is obviously like it's it's one of those old it's real. tales. Like it's real. Yeah, I, I think the, it's the, real. Don't too, tell. But, like I, I won't buy anything of people saying it's not a thing. It, it's a thing. Yeah. Okay. So I agree with you, but it's another wrinkle this year when you factor in there's no fans at all. So I think I mean we've shot in the dome, weird flex in in an empty stadium before, and it is kind of a weird phenomenon. Not easy. Like you look. Yeah, it's it's gonna be even harder than normal probably to shoot in the dome. And I think that actually could help Syracuse because they'll be doing it more than anyone else. And if you're a good shooting team and you're playing a 2-3 zone against... Like, if if a team comes in that is known for shooting the three ball, and Bryant shoots a lot of three balls, honestly, which they should get by Bryant anyway. But if a team comes in from the ACC, I'm trying to think maybe that shoots a lot of threes. Duke might be one of those teams that year. They're not playing in the Dome, unfortunately. But UNC. if it was a... what What's that? U- UNC could be a team that shoots a lot of threes this year. Yeah, I mean they, they, yeah, potentially they're gonna they're gonna be a little bit weak in terms to other teams in three point shooting. But I agree. So let's take them for example. They come in and they're known for shooting threes and getting out in the open floor. Well, maybe they make less than they normally would because of the dome sight lines being even more tougher than normal this year. And I I think like the under is gonna be a good bet in Syracuse games because of that as well. I could see that definitely and. and- I think, too, when you look at how practices might be laid out for Syracuse once they get back into the swing of things, again, of course, they've got that beautiful facility at the Mellow Center, but they do practice inside the Dome at certain times. And I would imagine Jim Beheim would want to be getting a lot more practices in at the Dome because you are literally playing in the game environment. And that's something that I think benefits Syracuse a lot more to get in their game environment as opposed to some other teams who aren't going to have that that luxury, they're they're going to get their walk through the the day before the game if they're even traveling that far in advance. I mean, some of these local schools might not even be traveling; like they may be traveling day of for certain games. So, I I would imagine there's a lot of practices in the dome this year more than usual. All right, final thing before we get out of here: Who do you think surprises people? This year, we we talked about this for football, and I think we might have alluded to Sean Tucker, and he ended up being kind of a big surprise. Like 
someone like that, that it's different in basketball. You're not going to come out of nowhere. But is there anyone on the roster that you think right now is underrated compared to the rest of the team? You know, this might be a weird answer. Because I think like the consensus here of an answer would be a Quincy or you, you look at Frank Anselm or Kadari Richmond. Like that, that's kind of the consensus answer. Can I give yeah. you Marek Dolezal as the Yeah, the I was thinking here? him too, maybe. Because yeah. I feel like we could be looking at a guy who just unlocks himself offensively and really thrives, especially passing the ball too, because he's going to have so many options. You can see him operating at that high post area, a little inside, outside. I think we could see a lot more with him on the offensive rebounding side of things. Again, he was a very solid offensive rebounder from a season ago, but... I think we could unlock a whole new dimension of Marek Dolajai. All right? Like, you know, there's the the let Russ cook movement. Let Rec Rec, all right? Let Marek just wreck games. And I think we could see that in the offensive system that Syracuse likes to run. So give me Marek Dolajai as a guy. Again, he's already a fan favorite. He's already done some great things at Syracuse. He's a starter. He's been a starter for a while. But I think we might see him take it to a whole nother level this year. Yeah. So I'm going to give you two guys, which is kind of cheating, but to the national like naked eye or the the people that don't follow Syracuse that closely, it's going to be Kadari Richmond, I think, because he, his, the hype, like I said, in preseason is almost like too much for it not to pan out into something. And I know it's happened before where a guy is underwhelmed given the hype, but nationally, it's not like he's coming in and being circled as some five-star freshman. So I think he's in a good spot to succeed he may be like, there's a world where he plays himself into the starting five at some point. I wouldn't project that, but he will exceed expectations from a national standpoint. If you're listening to this podcast, though, I think you already know that Kadari Richmond is having a great camp and everything. I would say Quincy is the undervalued guy so far it, from like the in the know people because Quincy in his second year, more healthy hopefully expands his range a little bit on offense and just learns the zone a little bit better. I feel like a lot of his problems last year, one, he wasn't healthy. Two, he it was zone issues and just classic freshman issues. And you see guys make jumps from freshman to sophomore year. So he'd be a guy that I'd be circling as someone that could surprise some people. My concern with that is that defense will keep you off the floor. And he, of course, had, what was it, abdominal surgery over the offseason, and he missed yeah. a lot of the offseason, too. And and I don't I think he's like, 100% is what Yeah, I don't I mean, know if he's, he's 100% play. now, but he's yeah. way closer to 100 this year than he was last year. Sure. And obviously health is going to help him, but I also think that there's something valuable about being on the floor with the zone, and if he wasn't given that luxury because – he was sitting out with an injury over the the off season. I think that could hurt him a little more this year and, and hurt his minutes this year. Yeah. All right. I'm pumped up for basketball season. I hope you guys are too. It starts with Bryant Friday at 3 p.m. Thanks for listening to this episode. Subscribe now and you will get our recap episode to basketball that we will be looking to drop probably on Saturday and get all our other episodes, basketball, football, recruiting, everything you need to know about Syracuse into your preferred podcast feed every single weekday. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you guys after the Bryant game.